Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We have two readings today. The first one is from Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. And then from 1 Peter 4, verses 9 to 11, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Anita. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Now, look, um, I don't normally do this, but I want to affirm Anita, our Bible reader, because um, you often think, oh, reading a Bible is not a big deal. Well, it is in church life, because uh, she was running a conference for three days uh, this week and got stuck on a train in all that lightning coming up from Wollongong at like 10 o'clock at night on Friday, whilst Amy, who's on guitar here, her daughter, is desperately trying to get through the traffic to pick you up, while she lent her husband, David, to us for our elders' retreat on the Friday night and we were trying to drop him home. Um, and they've come all the way. They come from Kings Langley uh, in, in, out in uh, Sydney's northwest uh, each morning to do that. And um, Anita, you and, and the Gallifords just embody why this church is flourishing the way it's flourishing. Um, thank you. We appreciate you. Mm. Just amazed at our people and what goes into doing this to receive this. So uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that uh, so much of what I'm about to say is already taking place in this house of yours here at Northside. And so, Lord, I would ask that uh, it would uh, really be not only an affirmation for us, but uh, a marker and a reminder and a declaration for all of us that um, this fundamentally embodies who we are. And so, Lord, uh, we know that this, the strength to do what we're going to talk about this morning can only come from you. And, and so I would, I would ask in this moment, I'm so conscious as, as one of uh, the many stewards of this place, nothing in my own strength um, can inject this and flourish this in the life of our family. And so I would hand that to you, Lord, and I would ask that you do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look, there are, there are contexts all around New South Wales. In fact, they're all around Australia that uh, are, are, really, um, are really at the, uh, the, the detriment of the emotional health of so many young people uh, around the place, self-esteem and the rest of it. Um, it was true of my life because I think you have certain um, situations in these places uh, that uh, really impact a kid for the rest of his life. And, and, and the space I'm talking about is, is basically... Um, the last 45 centimetres of those aluminium seats in New South Wales primary school system. Anyone ever seen those? Right? I, I think a whole kid's trajectory is determined. 
by what takes place at the end of that seat. Most importantly, whether or not there's a place at the end of that seat. Because I was crushed as a child when I came home and my parents saw this and I was a blubbering mess and I was inconsolable and they asked, well, what, what happened? And I said, um, well, Adam Fulbrook said that I couldn't be his best friend. And he wouldn't let me play with him and everyone else. Um, in other words, there's no room. There's no room for Sam. And um, we... I know. Write me a card after the service. <laughs> um, but I'm sure if, if we pass the microphone around the room, like it'd be more than the aluminium seats. You know, there there are other spaces, and and if we if we pass the microphone around, we would all discover that there are uh, there are places and there are spaces, and there are moments that you have not forgotten, where someone either consciously or subconsciously has said to you, uh, "There's no more room." Yeah, there's, there's no more room at this company. We've looked at your resume and uh, we just don't think there's room for someone like you. Uh, well, you're in the company and uh, it's great that you're with the company and now there's no more room for you and you don't have a job. Some of you have experienced that. Social situations where um, you've realised that you've been cut out of social situations and there's no more room for you in the, in the friendship group. Um, relationships, marriages... Spaces where it's been squeezed out and there's no more room. And, you know, it doesn't leave us, does it? You know, what, what is it about that 45-centimetre moment that, that, that hits at the heart of the human condition? Would we agree that we've all felt that pain somewhere along the line? Um, more positively, let me start that way for an introduction. Um, conversely, um, who here loves networking events? <laughs> A few of you. We need to pray for you. You're those gifted types yeah, that, that love networking events. 90% of us, on the other hand, um, they strike the, the fear of God into people, don't they? You know, that, that terrible feeling when you, you walk into that room and, and you don't know anyone and, and you, you're greeted by just that sort of dead air. It's like you can't even breathe when you're in that space of looking around at who you who are you going to talk to? Anyone been in that space? Yeah, that's a bit more like it. Um, most importantly, when, that, when we're in that space, though, um, who's felt the wonderful life-giving peace that it is when um, a person waves to you and beckons over and says, oh, come, come join us, come join us for a drink? Um, or more importantly, you know, you've been in those moments where you're the, um, you go into a birthday party, but you're like the friend of the friend. You know, like you're the only Christian one of all the rest of the other friends or you're sort of the three layers back from the inner social circle at all. So you get stuck in what is like the grown-ups version of the end of the aluminium seat um, at the table and you get stuck to that really interesting person that's decided that for the entire night um, they're just going to sort of... It's normally anywhere from about 15 to 35 degrees of angle, not quite 45, or that would be rude, but there's the turn of the shoulder. Anyone been in that situation? <laughs> Now the, the turn of the shoulder that says, hey, I haven't closed you off, but we're not talking tonight. <laughs> and yet that same, that same feeling when, when eventually someone does turn to you, hey, what do you think? What do you reckon? Have you... Now, there's, there's something um, cathartic, something wonderful, something fulfilling uh, when people make room for you. And that's why I think it's, it's so important for us to talk about uh, today because... Uh, you know what, um, 
Ironically, the thing that made the church explode all throughout the first century was, was not just the signs and the miracles and the wonders and all the incredible stuff that God did supernaturally through his church, but the thing that made the church um, grow and, and spread like a wildfire through the countryside was the fact that Christians were open to strangers. And this was off the Richter scale because as much as we think, you know, people stick to their cliques these days and that's a very modern problem, it was just as much a problem in the Roman Empire And so when these Christians come in and they open their life up to strangers, they look radically different and they look beautiful and it was attractive. So much so that the Emperor Julian writes this. He says, why do we not observe how the benevolence of Christians to strangers has done the most to advance their cause? For it's disgraceful that the impious Galileans support not only their poor but ours as well, while everyone is able to see that our own people lack aid even from us. <laughs> you see how it works out? Like the church exploded because Christians made room for strangers in their life. That was the beautiful dynamic amongst that. And so can you see where we're headed this morning is that this has really been my, you know, my dream and my heart with the team for this series it's been this that like already speaking to all the folks at, at Taramara and all the beautiful people up there, you know, I've been saying, particularly in the newsletter, that, that I had no idea we would be where we are right now this time last year, right? Like we, we hadn't even had a phone call about adopting a whole new branch of brothers and sisters and relationship. And so God has done a crazy thing in our church. And I want us to be really clear here at Crow's Nest as to why we're expending all of the energy up there at Taramara. Because our dream and our hope is that we, in the next couple of months as we launch that church, will get to meet a whole bunch of strangers. And most of all, prayerfully, and you can help me in this, I hope that we meet a whole bunch of strangers that are strangers to God. We don't want to see a chapel full of other Christians. And so the only way that that is going to happen is if we prepare ourselves to make room for others. And, you know, ironically, some of you may have come from churches and places and spaces where this is the dynamic. You know, the capacity of a church has nothing to do with its building and everything to do with the willingness of its people to have just one other relationship in their life. Let's extrapolate that logic. If you and I shut down on our relationships and say, I'm done for 2019, I've got enough people in my life, <laughs> Northside's full. And, and there are lots of churches out there that are 30, 40 people in buildings that could seat 200, and that church is full because they're clicky and they're insular and they're, you know, they're lovely, beautiful people, but they're full. And so our, our dream for this series has been, okay, we, we, we want God to continue to do something amazing in the life of our church in this next 12 months. But that is not going to happen unless first, as Adrian led us so well last week, the first thing we need to do is just make room for God in our lives. And I love the way, didn't you love the way that he just, he put it so well that, that we need to make room for God by leaving the altars, you know, of our past comforts. I love that. And, and, and even establishing altars, a, a commitment to God, a preparedness that, Lord, we're, we're going we're gonna to do whatever you want us to do. We want to encounter you in our lives this year. And so I feel like that's the heart and the spirit and the momentum of our church at the moment. But then, but then the most important thing for us is that unless you and I are each willing today to make a commitment, that, that there is going to be another relationship in our life than Northside's full. So here's the big idea of what I want to put to you today. You know, what, what if each and every person in this room committed 
They're having one new relationship with a stranger this year in 2019. Can you imagine what that would look like? Are you up for it? Because we come to this passage and, and it, it says here in verse 13, Keep loving one another, brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to one another, for by doing so you may have shown hospitalities to angels. And so it says don't forget. You know, um, when we say we're we up for doing this, can I give you the honest pastor's answer? Um, I know that we should, but I don't want to. <laughs> And um, part of the reason, I know that's how we often think, you know, um, part of the reason is that we don't want to is that most of us, if you're anything like me, right, so the logic is I assume we're all, we're all very much the same. So if you're anything like me, you're in this with me. <laughs> Just a projection of my own conviction upon you all. <laughs> Uh, but, the, you know, the reality, I've just been thinking on this point, even driving down in the car from Taramara this morning, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm open to different people. I had dinner with my um, friends, which is the first time I've been out with, with a, few of, um, a few of the guys uh, from school in a long time. We had dinner last night. We sat all six of us around a nice circular table in Surrey Hills. And as I'm driving in the car, I, those faces went around in my head, and I, I came to realise that they are the same six guys that I have known and sat with around that table for the last 20 years. And man, I come into a message like this and I go, there's not much relational room in my life. And maybe that's part of the tension for you is that you hear a message like this and you go, yeah, Sam, I know, I know I should be welcoming to people at church or strangers in our life, but I've got my friends. We've got our table. We've got our spot. What am I going to come back to you? Could I, could I put it to you that the only way you ever got that spot at the table in this house is because someone was willing to be open to you and had a spot for you when you arrived? Whether it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, someone made room for you. And as a result, um, you found home. You found family. And so the reality is our tension is that we have our friends, but most importantly, part of the reason for the tension is um, it just takes time. And I don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time. And also, you've got to realise, like, if you want room in your relationships, um, I, I hate this, I've realised this, but you actually, you actually can't be efficient at a relationship. Have you noticed that? <laughs> if anyone that knows me knows that I'm always trying to life hack things, you know that term? I'm always trying to life hack things. And the one thing that I haven't found a blog for or a tip for in terms of life hacking is a relationship. It's so frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> Just love to be able to life hack a relationship. Let's just have some efficient relationships. You know, it's like, it's like if um, my little six-year-old Zach to me, you know, came to me and said this. He said, Dad, Dad, uh, I've got an idea. Cubby house. Cubby house. I've been thinking, I've got the brochure here, I've been looking at it, and I think this particular model, you know, I've, I've just been looking at our lifestyle and, you know, I, I've, done, I've run the numbers and you know what, I, I think if you buy me a cubby house, I think we're actually going to uh, improve the efficiency of our relationship by about 20% this year. <laughs> I mean, like uh, even the positioning, if we could get that right, Dad, I mean, you could do both your sermon prep and supervise me at the same time, saving you a heap of time. I think it's a good deal. We've got opportunity A, B or C, but I, I reckon we should do it. <laughs> Would it work? No. Because you can't life hack and you can't shortcut a relationship. And so our tension now in all of this is if we're going to make room for others, it's pretty clear that it's going to cost us time. 
And so now when we come to a passage like this that says practice hospitality, fundamentally this passage is not talking about hospitality, it's actually talking about generosity. Because remember, we, you know, it's becoming part of our language. I constantly say here that you know, generosity is not just money. We think money, but generosity is not money. Generosity is a currency of the things that are most valuable to you. And so, yes, it can be your money, but it, 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 can, be, it can be your time. And so I, I need to set us up to say, look, if we were going to do this, we actually have to fundamentally view hospitality with nothing to do with whether or not it's a spiritual gift or the size of home that we have. And I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> But it has everything to do with the paradigm to say, am I willing to be generous? Am I willing to sacrifice something of value in order to establish a relationship with a stranger? That makes sense? So we're fundamentally talking about generosity here. And I think the wrestle for us on the inside then is, this is not informational for us. The problem's not informational, right? We all know this. We've heard this. We've read Hebrews. We, we know that. We know we should practice hospitality. We get Emperor Julian... It's not an informational issue. It's fundamentally a a hard issue to say, have I got a willingness to open up my life to someone who is different from me and allow it to cost me? And because, you know, on one hand, we of each, whether it's in the playground or, or, or the corporate scene or family life or relational life, all of us, on one hand, we've sat on the edge of the seat and we know what it's like to feel when someone says there's no room. Conversely, we know what it's like to be invited in, and most of us have received that here at Northside, but we also feel the tension of this cost. And so part of the reason why we should be Considering how much effort we put into relationships is, um, is this. I think John Piper says it the best in a message that he, he wrote called uh, Strategic Hospitality. And he says, we should make room for others, my paraphrase there, because he says, when we do so, we experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than, I love this, being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. Oh, <laughs> John said it, not me. (laughs) Let me continue to read. And the joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. What a wonderful picture. What a high call that that, that he's saying. God has called you and I as stewards of all of the blessings that he's given us in in, in our lives as insiders, as people in the family, as the ones that felt that click of the ones who know. He's like, it's your responsibility not to get comfortable in that, but to pass it on. And so let's think practically, how do we do that? You know, what is is making room for others? Here's, Here's... Here's my definition of what it means to make room for others. To make room for others is to indiscriminately give away your love, your lifestyle, and your loot. (laughs) You like that? I do. (laughs) Just preaching to myself here. That's fine. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) The, The indiscriminate giving away of your love, your lifestyle, and your loot. The first one, the indiscriminate giving away of your love. And in Hebrews 13 says this, you know, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people would have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, the fundamental word under that, that phrase, entertain strangers, is actually one Greek word, and that word is philoxenia. And so it's, it's philo, meaning love, and xenia, and we know the word xenia from another word, xenia or xena, xenophobic. Phobia, fear, fear of strangers. So it's saying, do not forget to love strangers. 
which is really good because it stops all of the people who just thought then, I'm no good at doing hors d'oeuvres, I don't entertain. (laughs) That's for those gifted people. No, can you love a stranger? Can you love a stranger? That's what it's saying. Do not forget to love strangers because you could be entertaining angels without knowing it. And I love this phrase because there's the principle in all of this. And you only get to this when you commit to doing community in a place like this long enough. But the principle with all of that is to say, practically, don't, in order to do this, how do you love a stranger? Don't discriminate when you walk into a room. Some of you are thinking, I, I, don't, I don't do that. Um, ladies, can I suggest? Yes, you do. Talking with Kristen, it happens all the time. Like, ladies have, like, they have the world's best biological ingrained discrimination radar. And I mean that in the best possible sense. Ladies, mate, can I just suggest to you that, that you do this? You, know, you go out and you go to a room, and it's a radar with just three basic KPIs, accessories, size and style. Is that how it normally... Is that... Kristen saying, don't bring me into this. <laughs> or you go to the shopping mall. You ever notice ladies at the shopping mall? Ladies are never looking at the guys. Ladies are always looking at the ladies. Accessory size and style. <laughs> Constantly discriminating and comparing. Guys, don't think you get out of this. <laughs> you know, we guys, we network. You know, so we're, we're, we're always looking for the person of the most value in the room, aren't we? You know, whether it's Friday night drinks, whether it's even church for that matter, whether it's the key client, who's the person that's going to bring me the next gig, the next dollar, <laughs> the next thing for me? So we, we can't, common sense, we, we discriminate. So what's wonderfully reversing from the scriptures here when you capture this principle This is what makes Christians unlike the rest of the world. Don't discriminate in the room. What it means is make every effort to actively, I would use the phrase play the game, but that would diminish the significance of this, but to actually move into a fun environment where you walk out of the doors this morning and you actively look for the person that is least like you because I promise you if you spend the time to invest and to be enriched by and to listen and to understand, you will find an angel beneath the person that you're speaking to. Haven't we, haven't we lived that Northside? You know, and you've heard me constantly say we are never really truly the church of Jesus Christ until we sit in connection groups or at coffee tables uh, or, or, or out at you know, women's breakfast with people that we, we look at and we say, and we do discriminate initially, and we say, you know what, there is no way that you and I would be hanging together given our demographics if it weren't for the love of Jesus Christ. So um, don't discriminate. You know, make every effort you can to move into the spaces of your life looking beneath the surface and turning that radar off. Uh, the second one is to indiscriminate, to indiscriminately give away your lifestyle. Verse 9 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. Look at that word there, of God's grace in various terms. You should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards. And I know that there's probably talking within the context of spiritual gifts and how God has gifted us, but I don't want to go that direction because I think often it gives us, it gives us an out when it comes to this practice. I think it's better to call it a discipline because we hear hospitality as a spiritual gift and we say, no, that's for the other people to do that. That's not for me. 
But, but what this is saying here is, you know, I, I want to put it to you that the greatest gift that God has given to steward in terms of this context of being his people is your home. And some of you are saying, well, he hasn't given me much. <laughs> Have you seen my place? It's a shoebox. <laughs> right? I, live in a, I live in a shoebox. Have you seen that? You know, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't invite 15 people around. Like, they wouldn't make it through the foyer of my place. You know, or you, or you go at the other side and you say, that's for that other north side. You know, they, 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 they got, their foyer alone is bigger than my place. I can't do this sort of stuff. Um, no, I'm, look, two things. First of all, I've, I've done the math. And um, if, we, if we added up all the square meterages of all of our different shoebox in north side between here and, and Taramara of all the north siders in the place, we would have a location that is greater uh, than some of the logistical factories that you see out there in Eastern Creek. God has given our church a huge floor area. You think that the floor area of our church is just these here. Oh, we've got a building problem. We need more space. No. God's given us ample space. We have like 23,000 square metres of space that can be used for his ministry. And it's primarily your home. Now, if you can't use that, if you're a shoebox sort of person, you can't use that, then here's what I really want you to understand. Your home is never the box that you live in. The home is where you live life in the places you love. Right? And we do this. You know, when, we, when we say, oh, I want to go home. When I lived in Canada for a year, I wanted to go home. It's, it's, I, I didn't want to go back to my little boxy unit in DY. I wanted to go to the beach. I wanted to ride at Karingai National Park. I wanted to go for a bushwalk. That's what home is. And so what I'm saying is this. As you practice hospitality, make room for others. Make room for others into your lifestyle. Do you want to come for a bushwalk? Do you want to come down to the beach? Why don't we have brunch at DY? Why don't we go for a trip to the Southern Highlands? And can you imagine what an invite that would be to people in a city that is so characterised by isolation? Just the simplest of that invitation to a friend or a co-worker or someone you know. Oh, just, do you want to just come join me in the places that I love to be? Does that sort of sound simple enough? And by the way, do you want to know what the doorway to your home looks like? You know, it's, it's not the funny thing with the handle that you work through. The doorway to your home is your countenance, or in other words, a way to put it, you know, I've got to ask you this question, is there, a, is, there a, is there a spirit of openness about you? You know, when you've, you know, is, is there a, do you communicate an openness, an availability about you? I can think of that phrase, you know that phrase where you say to someone, oh, are you you're happy today? You know, how's, how's life going? Oh, great. And you say, well, you should tell your face. <laughs> right? Tell your face. I think, I, think the scary, I think the scariest things that we've got to be conscious of when we walk into this place is that we have a countenance and a spirit of openness and availability to us. How we, oh yeah, we're all for Jesus and we're worshipping and we're doing this stuff and we want church to be accessible, but maybe for some of us, you've got to tell your face. <laughs> Now, look, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not being critical in all of that. I'll dub myself in. It's, um, as God always had it, God always puts me through this message practically before I have to preach it. And so um, the places where I um, love to live, one of them is um, the Fox and Bird Cafe in East Ride, funky little cafe. And that's where I prepare my message in all of this for you guys. You know, that's sort of where God lives, amongst the coffee. And... Um, <laughs> 
And so I'm always there every Wednesday morning and um, it's been a hectic week. We had our you know, elders retreat yesterday and we were prepping for that and, and I had like literally an hour and a half to get stuff together with how everything was going and I had just sort of settled down into my coffee and got the old Apple pencil out and I'm, I'm sitting there ready to go and I'm reading and I'm scribbling some stuff out and this lady in her 60s next to me um, turns to me and says, oh, what are you reading? <sighs> I went, oh, just stuff. <sighs> And then I sort of went 25, 35 degrees. <laughs> not enough to be closed off, but enough to say we're not talking. And then, and you know those people that don't quite get a clue? And then she says after that, about three minutes later, she's like, do you think I need to see the physio for my finger? I don't know, it's looking pretty blue. I think you should get an x-ray, not a physio, and keep working it through. What about the floods in Townsville? And it was like at that point, it was at that point that it was like the Holy Spirit just hit me. And he's like, I'm teaching you a lesson, son. And I just folded it up. And I, I just shifted the, te- the chair at the, the two tables that were next to us. And I'm like, tell, tell me more about that. And you know, um, for the for ne- next hour and a half, um, <laughs> we talked about a divorce. We talked about the pain of what that meant for her, how she struggled just to keep a house, I mean, how she struggled to get her kids um, through St Andrew's Cathedral School. Um, how she was a working mum for 12 years when she never expected that to be the case. And, you know, I went through that whole pastor thing in the middle of it because then, you know, I went from... And don't we do this as Christians if we're good Christians? When we overwork the lesson that God is trying to teach us? So I went from this sort of spirit of, okay, I get it, Lord, I've got this openness, to now I'm praying fervently that this is going to turn into some miraculous um, story so that if I can't do the prep on the page, at least I'll have an awesome story that she's here today. And church, what an amazing job that God has done. Hallelujah. <laughs> it didn't quite happen because I had to go to a meeting. And so I just I gave up on the sermon prep and I, and I packed up. And it was like in the last three seconds that she said, oh, what do you do? And I said, um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. And she's like, oh, that's nice. And then she went back to a coffee. And then that was... <laughs> I'm believing God's doing something there in the kingdom. The indiscriminate giving away of the places that you love. Is there, is there a spirit of openness about you? You know, and guys, we know this to probably be the biggest tension in our lives in the, in the context that we live, right? So easy to miss if I can miss in that way. Look, I'll shorten the last point for you, seeing as that we could have preached the whole sermon on that. Um, the last piece is then, it's, it's not only that, but it's um, making room for others is the indiscriminate giving away of your loot. It says here, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why do you think they're saying that you grumble? Really simple, because it's going to cost you. Have you seen the price of I fill it these days? $44 a kilo now, isn't it? Up to 50 bucks in Woolworths is 25 bucks three years ago. You know, it, it's, it's going to cost you to have a meal. It's going to cost you to have a coffee. It's going to cost you money and it's going to cost you time. 
And so I think the fundamental thing, and I know with the heart of all of us in our church here, I know that you know this, and I know that there is a heart for this, but I think everything about what we're saying today as to whether or not Northside will be a church that is never full comes down to whether or not there is a willingness for you and I just to be open to one more relationship in our life this year and to allow it to cost us and to allow it to inconvenience us. But in so doing, we'll receive a rich blessing in that, knowing that we're not a decaying cul-de-sac. But most importantly, you know, if we, and this is what I come back to now, because I said to you, all of you at one point, if you call this place home, are only here because someone opened up this home to you, not in those auditorium doors, but because they invited you for coffee, because people like Ann Robinson greeted you at the door and connected you with someone else, because Graham Agnew hugged you, and that was the thing that just made it, right? Look at all the heads nodding. There was just an op- there was tangible openness. But friend, if you are watching in, because by the way, you know, if, if you're not yet a Christian, this is the one thing that kills any of your search for Christianity. And in fact, some of you maybe are only just back in this in this place because you got hurt and you got pained by churches that weren't open. And I'm talking not just about their relationships but because they pushed you outside because you didn't think the same way that you thought or you asked a question that was too controversial or you dressed the wrong way or you thought about a political issue that was different from their little boxed-in form of theology that they had because they couldn't deal with the nuance of the complexities, right? Our openness is so much more and I hope that you are always clear on our heart in this place that we will always prioritise conversation over policy because we want to be a church that is open to letting any stranger come to know Jesus Christ and that fundamentally we're a church where strangers can become friends and friends, we pray, can become family. And so if you're a stranger to God this morning, I hope that you stick with us long enough and you see that we're a church that's desperate to be open to you and we're going to get it wrong and we're going to, get, we're going to muck it up and we're going to feel clicky at times to you and I apologise to that in advance. But at the end of the day, our openness is fundamentally grounded in who God is. Not because Sam said that you should do it. Not because the Bible said you should do it. It's the gospel. Think of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know what they were? They, they were like the perfect representation of three people sitting on the cosmic primary school aluminium bench. There was no room in that space for anyone. And they had it all. It was good. They all loved each other. The Trinity just dances around each other saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? How do I love you? How do I love you? How? Like it was perfection. That's the Trinity of God. It's not that difficult to understand. Again, Philippians 1 says, even though he had equality with God, he considered that it was not something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became a man. We only are here, and you and I only live this hope that there is life after death, and we only live in the beauty of this church because one man in the form of Jesus Christ decided and modelled that he's going to make room for others. And you and I, Christians, we live off that every single week. And that we actually see in Jesus Christ the ultimate insider at the cross outside of the city gate being cast away from God. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You know what Jesus was feeling in that moment? He was feeling the cosmic version of what every little primary school kid feels. When people didn't want them. 
He suffered that on an eternal scale. You want to know what hell is? Hell is not fire and brimstone. Hell is being left outside when you think no one loves you. And he experienced that in the relationship with his father. Friend, please be clear. That's what compels us. Not because we want to build big churches, but because we see his example and because we know that there are people that are strangers to God and the church that feel the pain of that isolation. And we want to give them the good news that you don't have to feel that lonely anymore. That there are people who love you, that want to get to know you, that look different from you. But there are a bunch of angels, and you truly are. And his church is a gift to me and to all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what your son endured for us. Oh Lord, I would pray that in these moments that you would lift us by your Holy Spirit into the reality of the ordinariness and the busyness of our own lives. That we would walk out of this place with a sense of cosmic bigness in terms of what you have called us to this morning. Father, we dare to believe that in your sovereignty ahead of us, you are ordaining intersections with strangers that we will meet at work and we will meet on the street, and we will meet in mum's groups, and we will meet in our workplaces, and we will meet in our families. And we, we would dare to believe that for each person, if just one, that there is going to be a couple of hundred people who are strangers to you, that you have on a head-on collision course at some point with one of us this year. And so I would ask that you would give us you would give us the eyes uh, to see that and to recognise the way that um, you guided me, Holy Spirit, this week in doing that. I pray that dynamic over every person in this place. <laughs> For myself, Father, I declare that in many ways I'm too short-sighted and I'm too self-interested to see this. And so I thank you and I would pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to break into our lives the way that you have at least for me this week and that that dynamic would be true for every person in this place. And that as we head out of here, Father God, that Sydney just becomes a little bit more unsydney-like because of our openness and our discipline and our, our ultimately our willingness for it to cost us in order that we might be rivers of life, of your love and of your grace and of your acceptance into people's lives. Work that amongst us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.